Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And we are here to continue our unbelievable examination of the MC2 universe, which became the examination of the Spider universe. And I'm thrilled that we are here to talk about what feels in some ways like an unfortunate amalgam of odds and ends that represent a single idea. We're here to talk about a good portion of the first year of the Spider-Verse Infinity comic. Now that breaks out into several arcs. There's a standalone debut followed by a number of highlight stories like a story about Miles, a story focusing on Penny and more, as well as the Gwenverse miniseries from earlier this year. And hopefully maybe we'll get to it. We'll see what happens. Edge of Spider-Verse. Man, this is a fucking loaded episode. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get to it all no matter what, but it really, it's so interesting that we're sort of coming to the end of all of this coverage and what we are left with, you know, because it's comics, there's never really an end to anything. But as we come to sort of the conclusion and a look into the future, we really have gone from this one additional Spider-Man universe in the MC2 to a seemingly infinite cascade in which at any point, if there is enough interest in a particular character they can then spin into their own spider verse and that can have its own you know group of stories that are tied to the larger spider verse idea but are their own thing and on and on it goes in various iterations so you know i i i'm excited to talk about this stuff but we really could just keep going and going and as we cover there will be enough new stuff released that we would have to just do nothing but various verses coverage for the spider people I think that the idea that Spider-Man is this bigger than we realize multiversal existence is so significant to a generation of Spider-Fans, whether it's the fans that connected with Spider-Man through the comics and we see the rise of Spider-Verse in its initial form under the pen of Dan Slott and Christos Gage, or it's the film fans that have been brought in through the exquisite animation of Sony Pictures Spider-Verse franchise. I am really happy that we have entered a world where spider characters are almost like Power Rangers. You get your own for whoever you are. Are you a young scientist boy who likes to take photos and also gets bit by a radioactive spider? Maybe you're Spider-Man classic. Are you his sometimes dead, sometimes girlfriend, but frankly her own awesome protagonist female counterpart? Hey, Maybe you're a spider, Gwen. Do you believe that you're a super cool Harajuku girl that works with a robot and has no family? Maybe you're Penny Parker, but I really wouldn't recommend that for anybody. Maybe you're an undead clone. You're a cane. All of these choices. And that's something that the Spider-Verse really offers us. Like, I love that I have a plethora of spider characters to sling my web all over. Yeah, it has grown on me more and more, I think, as the characters have really gotten fleshed out and 
and as we have examined what the core is that they all have in common as spider people, as part of that totemic spider idea, when we started, it, it sort of felt like your only options were variations on Peter Parker. Are you, know, are you a Tobey Maguire? Are you an Andrew Garfield? Are you a Tom Holland? And as we continue to look at all these stories, we really got, are you, you know, maybe the child of somebody who taught you their ways and you want to live up to their legacy while starting you starting your own like you're a mayday and that has gone from being one story in a what if to a really fully fleshed out character with an arc and a lot to sort of think about and follow i think i was really skeptical when especially when we finished the original mc2 coverage and started to get into this other stuff and i'm seeing now through all of the various spider tales whether they are you know universes that it's just like one genre twist or one gimmick to something like mc2 there really is a lot to pay attention to in identifying with whatever spider-man spider-woman spider-person is your spider-person that's been one of the most exciting things about this show for me i maybe didn't realize i had so many spider people which is charming i guess it's something that you don't realize that this franchise has so much to offer until you really start to like dig through it you grow up and everybody hears oh yeah you know uncle ben great power comes great responsibility and there's even a funny level to which i feel as though we overly familiarize ourselves with elements of a canosity that is mercurial at times i bring up the fact that daredevil has been you know just about to enter law school when he's been blinded or he's been blinded at like eight you know we stick somewhere around the eight ten years old range for the most part you know makes for a better story but the way that i remember hearing oh yeah this kid he got his powers and he was uh just trying to be you know i don't know that the wrestler thing was always repeated to me until the popularization of it by the film but i do feel like he was like goofing off in a costume was always part of my dad and my uncle because it wasn't just my dad my dad married my mom and my mom had two younger brothers and my mom's older younger brother was into comics but her younger younger brother was like a fucking nerd and my dad and my uncle Tommy like showered me in nerdery growing up so like I grew up and remembered being like when people be like oh yeah his name is Magneto his name is Magnus I'd be like they thought it was but his name is Eric get with it and like I had this one kid who I was oh it's one of those things like I remember it being like I remember being six and this kid kept saying that Wolverine became Weapon X because of Mutagen X and I'm like you're just crossing your cartoons you fool anyway so um <laughs> so I feel like there's parts of the spider myth that everybody knows but if you had asked me as a little kid how many issues had Uncle Ben properly appeared in I would have guessed 20 I would have guessed maybe 25 because I knew Gwen Stacy did the same thing Gwen Stacy died and she'd appeared in some issues I knew that so like my understanding of the spider myth was real damaged and when you barely understand the origin myth how can you really appreciate the finer nuance of the death of Gene DeWolf, Craven's last hunt. Man, I'm going for some bummers here. <laughs> life death. We're good. Uh, no, life theft. It's uh, life death in X-Men. It's life theft in Spider-Man. Yeah. But I think and it's interesting that you mention Daredevil because I think that's a really good example of what sort of separates other Marvel heroes from this idea that we're talking about in 
been always attempting to find another facet of the gem that is the Spider-Man popularity, the fact that it's just a machine that won't stop. And I think one of the things we've seen is that everybody is interested in the first idea, maybe not so much the second story of the first idea, but they want to know like, okay, what are you bringing to the table with this new spider person? And I think each one really develops a core audience and becomes a person unto themselves. With Daredevil, there are some slight variations of Daredevil. I mean, you know, Dark Devil from MC2, like not the same as Matt Murdock, does not have really any sort of similar code that they, you know, they're, they're not going to do devil verse and all get together. But with the introduction of Electra as another Daredevil, it feels like for the first time we are seeing a really fully realized second version of the character that is meant to make us allow us to ask the same sort of questions about Daredevil that we do about Spider-Man. But up until that point, it really was just kind of like your Daredevil is Matt Murdock. Like you, you don't have a ton of choices. And with Spider-Man, there just is such a breadth of other options that all tie to common ideas that it is fascinating to explore the broad mythos of the spider character, but then be able to drill down so often into what is specifically important about the one that you are following. And what do you take away from that that you can't necessarily get from Peter Parker? And now, you know, without getting too Wolf Legrand about it, I need to ask about the nature of the incestuousness of the Spider-Verse and the way it's sort of a family that seeks to repeatedly procreate within its own line. By that I mean when I think about the other Captain Americas, right? I think about guys like Sam Wilson and I think about guys like Bucky Barnes and I even think about like, you know, Captain Carter in some regard. When I think, you know, Isaiah Bradley, I think about, uh, you know, the number of people who have borne the name Patriot. I even think about fucking US agent. You know what I mean? At Nomad. I can't stop thinking of other men who represent and women we have oh my god why can't i think of her name american dream from mc2 thank you american dream Dream. i'm like captain dream girl what's her name captain dream girl that's my superpower Mm -hmm. so uh american dream we have you know the captain america core itself where it wasn't like each one of them was like you know steve rogers where the o is replaced with a zero you know what i mean they're different people when i think about different batman it's batman but then there's several other people who have worn that cowl who were not literally a blood relative or mystic representation of Bruce Wayne and the same with Superman. Spider-Man it seems like to be Spider-Man you either must be wearing his body or you must be his clone so kind of wearing his body or be I guess Miles is like the outlier but then by inclusion of Miles now we have the mystic Tatema that's like oh we're all spiders inside <laughs> Well, and, you know, when you have a character like Penny, who the naming convention in the whole story is really supposed to be, you are a different version of Peter. Even when you move into somebody like Ghost Spider, Spider Gwen, it is an attachment to the original Spider-Man story in some capacity. It's relatively rare that you get someone that is just wholly different and have 
having nothing to do with Peter Parker, you know, just arising in their own way. Miles is one of few. And I think one of the other interesting, I mean, Miles is such a great character on his own and there, there's so much to dissect about him that we couldn't really do it justice. But when he is able to reflect the other Peter Parker-esque spider people's status back to them by virtue of the fact that he is nothing like them and has his own life, it really does enhance your understanding of both camps, the various Peter Parker camps and the completely untouched by Peter Parker camps. And I wonder how much the magical availability of, oh, well, maybe you just have the mystic spider bite. Is that what you've got? Or do you just have the mystic spider bite? Yeah, it looks like you've got it right there. Cool. Um, You're one of us now. You're a Gwen, though. And there's a lot of you. And now we're discussing, like you said the other day, and it really fucked me up. You're like, Gwen herself is a riff on a character. So now we're doing riffs on riffs on characters. We're getting Thors of Gwen. But Gwen's are Gwen's of Peter. So we're getting Thors of Gwen's of Peter? What the fuck happened? Like, and I don't disparage it. I, I do just think sometimes, because that did sound more negative than I intended. I more mean to say the chain of logic that is spider inclusive is, yeah, anybody could be a spider. And I like how that works because I like what it offers the reader. It allows anyone to be Spider-Man in a way that does not make it exclusionary. The thing that it does sometimes create, though, is these arbitrary, "Mm, but that's not a spider, in the stories. And then further, my question mark at the hyper-focus on specific spiders at a time. I was willing to have a very open mind about the various trips through the spider verse. I, I keep that mind open. At this point, it is becoming a, a convention of the Spider-Man story that is, you know, kind of fused in there. Now, you can't really divorce the character from it. And in that way, it, it's not surprising to me that there is a Gwen verse, nor, yeah, nor is it negative. But it does really get to a point of, okay, I'm sorry, but you took me to so many different universes through Spider-Man that are specifically about the totality of characters that identify with this, you know, totem. It is a big ask for having us go on the tangent of the Gwenverse. And it is less that I think it is a positive or negative thing and more that I feel as though you really have to root it in something that makes me feel like this is an important journey in order for me to really approach it with the same heart that I do the various Spider-Verses and Spider-Geddons. And whether or not it does that, I uh, we can get into. But I will say that I, I look at it with a degree of skepticism that has less to do with evaluating the quality of the work or the idea and more with some questions just about what we are trying to do here. Of course, we're, just, we're trying to sell comics, we're trying to tell stories, but what in trying to tell and sell a story do we think is important about expanding into the Gwenverse, for instance? And to bring up for many people the only third member of the Black Eyed Peas they can name, Taboo, for the record, it's like Fergie Will I Am, Taboo and Apple D app. Um, but, you know, if you want to bring up Taboo's comics for a minute. I love Taboo's work at Marvel and I'm bringing up Taboo's work at Marvel in particular because Taboo wrote something that will forever remain in my memory the longest comic book 
I have ever read. The Kushala Infinity comic <laughs> was really like a James Cameron director's cut. It was by no means interminable, but you know, you're reading it and you're like, it's one of the first Infinity comics that I read where I was like, there's no way this was conceived as an Infinity comic. The editorial staff had to be thinking this was print at some point. I don't know if a writer did, an editor did, an artist did, but this reads like a print book. And then from there, it is the longest print. And there's four of them. And it gives so much value, especially for a free book available on Marvel Unlimited. It's unbelievable. I mean, it really reads like eight issues of a regular comic book. And with that in mind, four issues of the Kushala Infinity comic, to me, I am saying read like some uh, 160 pages comfortably. And so I think can really get a lot out of a single issue of an Infinity comic. And again, just pointing to that one as an example of a particularly dense book that explored a lot of nuanced ideas. Knowing that, I think the biggest disappointment I have with Spider-Verse as an Infinity comic, as Spider-Verse Unlimited, is that it refuses to be a Spider-Verse book at any time at all if I, I'm in Spider-Verse I want like non-stop different fucking spider people instead I'm sort of getting hi I'm same spider person that's not what I want yeah it's one of the things that made me really excited about the X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic was that it was able to tell the types of stories that it just hasn't appeared to be feasible to tell in the pages of the print comic books I often call that slice of life but it's more than just that. It's stories for characters who, you know, we all love and might want to see what they're up to, but maybe right now they can't headline a book or there's no room for them on a team, but they are worth acknowledging and giving you a little like, here's what's going on in their lives. It's a really, and the whole point of the X-Men is there are a lot of them. There are a lot of mutants. It's a whole world. And while we are now seeing that there are a lot of spider people, the way we relate to the idea that there are a lot of spider people is very different and so that you would use a book like this to tell what are ostensibly disconnected spider stories about people that are you know sometimes in the same universe sometimes not without any through line through all stories some of them do connect a little bit with each other one or two arcs here and there but it is offering something that i don't know was really high on my list for things that I wanted from the Spider-Verse overall. And then on top of that, to, you know, have the first Infinity comic with the Spider-Verse title, there remain quite a lot of options for what you would do with that and how you would use it to enhance the idea of Spider-Verse, given that we've got Edge of Spider-Verse to talk about at some point. I really did think going into this that the two would dovetail in more of a recognizable way. And, you know, these are a bunch of great stories about people who are associated with the title of Spider-Man. And that's fantastic. I just don't know that that is enough at this point. And to that end, I really want to raise a point exactly in favor of what you're saying. My biggest disappointment with this title is that for a thing called Spider-Verse, we are very focused on very few spider characters at a time. Now, just to take a look through the things we've covered 
covered on this show alone. At this moment, we have had some 97 segments covering, Jesus Christ, 61 hours, 7 minutes, and 15 seconds of coverage. Depending on how much we get through today, we've already covered 410 books, and today's docket alone should bring us to about 430. And it is unbelievable that in that time, we've covered some like 30 spider characters. We, of course, have Spider Girl. We have her dad, Spider Man, from this same universe. In this world, we have an Aranya. We have Black Tarantula. We have Benji, who is now entering the realm of spider people. We also had that weird spider boy that we never really want to deal with ever again. We had a plethora of spider women. Jumping over to Renew Your Vows, there's a family of three spider people available. Oh, right. Back over in MC2, we also had Old Man Uncle Ben, right? Jeez. And that's just two universes alone, let alone the fact that we covered Spider-Verse, Spider-Geddon. Man, we must have covered like a hundred Spider-Men by now. Holy shit. And then I'm like thinking like the Slingers. Uh, I'm not over here trying to count the that Spider-Man baseball team. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody here. But we in this Spider title have focused on like the biggies and having looked ahead through issue 32, we'll have covered an arc of Miles, an arc of Penny, another arc of Miles, followed by an arc of the main Spider-Man. Like Peter, we get some Mayday, followed by some Spider-Gwen with holiday specials sprinkled throughout, including characters like Spider-Ham and, again, Miles, who there's never enough Miles. That is not what I'm here to say. I kind of wish Miles could just have Miles, Ultimate Infinity Comic thing. You know what I mean? And Spider-Verse could focus on, you know, the 106 other spider people we just mentioned who aren't in the fucking book going on 36 fucking issues. Because I looked ahead through February 7th, 2023. The book starts off with a a meeting between Peter Parker, Miles Morales, and Ghost Spider Gwen Stacy, who at this point just like uh, goes to school in 616 universe but doesn't live there, which to me is an interesting convention, but we'll set that aside for now. Um, It really sets them up as the triumvirate of spider person like these are your three important heavy hitters okay uh bums me out that spider woman mayday after all her time is not that person but you follow the popularity of a character we're going with gwen that is perfectly fine i really like this one shot setup that we get in the first issue but from there that it really stays so close to miles peter and gwen with minor deviations really the biggest deviation the most expansive in terms of getting to what i guess you would call the tertiary or the secondary spider people is the story with mayday which is awesome and there's a bunch of great stuff to say about it but by that point you know i I mean you know we do get a penny story i shouldn't i shouldn't discount that because it's a lot of story but it just feels like i would rather be getting like even just two or three issues on some of the spider people that we have seen throughout all this whether it be billy braddock or spider-man noir there are a lot of options and to stick so closely with the three really popular spider people who are getting books published about them anyway it just feels like i'm not sure what they want us to get out of this like we're doing basically new spider people in edge of 
Spider-Verse. So how are we ever developing any kind of love or relationship or understanding with the long list of other Spider-People who we're often told are important and that we should be into, but we're given very few chances to actually spend some time with them. And it must be such a double-edged sword from the point of view of marketing, editorial, and available use for like programming. And it's programming in like a broad term because, you know, whether you're trying to do it in Infinity Comics and the print comics, whether that's being looked at cohesively or the projects are being examined one at a time, there is something to be said for when the book isn't called Peter Parker, the eponymous spider guy, or Miles Morales, this is his book, or Spider-Gwen, cause girl too. I think you have the opportunity to kind of put anyone in that book. And I know Scarlet Spider is usually one or maybe two characters. I know that there's like certain terms that we use for specific people, but we do have phrases like web slingers or slingers or web warriors, spider girls. We have these blanket terms, which, you know, cool if next time it could be spider women, but you know, we have these sort of blanket terms that we can use to deal with the bigger picture of putting other spider people on the page together. Something like Spider-Verse Unlimited as an Infinity comic, both as an Infinity comic and a book called Spider-Verse, has the potentiality for the exploration on an editorial level of the, the magnitude of the character roster and how it can be explored. Because when you do use a book with an eponymous lead, even when it's a spider character, I don't know that when the book is called Spider-Gwen, she's going to be temporarily replaced by her friend Rebecca while she's dead. <laughs> Rebecca is Spider-Gwen, you guys. Did everybody hear that? Rebecca almost said Rebecca Gayhart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, 55-year-old actress, Rebecca Gayhart is new spider girl. Um, I'll look up her age later. So I feel as though the thing that I'm trying to strive toward is if the book is called Spider-Verse, that's my chance to read a story about Octavia Otto. That's my chance to read a story about Ricochet teaming up with Miles. That's my chance to read a story about Spider-Girl, now Spider-Woman, and Benji doing something a little more than a really tremendous exploration of the consistent holding pattern we regularly found the characters in. Just instead of, you know, whoever her guy Friday was, whether it was the unbelievably hot Buzz, who was also the much less hot JJJ, or the uh, crazy hot black tarantula who wound up, you know, getting with the amazing Aranya. There was always somebody playing a second fiddle to her. I don't know. A lot of feels. A lot of feels being at this point in the in this, the read, the structure, the, the junction. But what I will say is it does feel like this machine of the Spider-Verse is in no way winding down. It does not feel like it's even really streamlining very much. They have gone in a different direction with this current edge of Spider-Verse and how that feeds into another multiversal Spider-Man story, but it's a different direction in a way that leads me 
to believe like they would like to keep doing more of this. And what they're trying to do is tweak the formula in hopes that they can get something that sells well and can keep readers' attention. They don't just want to keep calling it Spider. They don't want to do Spider Geddon 2 or something. They're they're really trying to, to work on this. And I'm excited because that means that this is not an idea that they're, you know, pronouncing dead. I worry about the amount of misses that we get in between the hits and the things that we really love. But that's okay. That's part of comics. I'm really waiting for that moment and especially waiting for that moment for Mayday. Something that I really love about your terminology of hits and misses is it reminds me that Joni Mitchell, who, just in case you're wondering, she technically never lied. Joni Mitchell packaged her first major best of as hits and then she packaged all of the singles that she liked more that didn't succeed as a record called Misses and on the cover of Hits there is a car that has clearly hit her and she's you know let's go with playfully laying dead on the ground in the cover for Misses it's the same thing but she has not been hit by the car and there is a really beautiful understanding of symmetry it's almost like she's seeing it from both sides now like some kind of circle game guys i can sit here and do this joni mitchell shit all day like i'm I some kind him. of free man in paris i'm gonna stop now but the thing i'm getting at is i could do that for spider-man for every hit there's just as many misses. but i think the name of the game when you're creating comics and you're creating this sense of i want to go with corporate brand identity comics your goal is always to be creating names right so the name spider Spider-Verse exists now. Now, Spider-Verse should create a new name. Spider-Verse gives us Spider-Gwen. Great. Where's the Gwen? Where's the Spider-Gwen spinoff? Where's the thing that Spider-Gwen is giving us that's so successful? She's not. She doesn't have a book then. Okay, great. What's the Ultimate Universe given us? Oh, it's got Miles. Okay, then maybe we bring back the Ultimate Universe at some point. Like, there's a lot of ways that by looking at the structure of the Spider-Office as always trying trying to see how something might spin its own web, how something is going to create its own brand identity strong enough to be the next Venom or Carnage. Now, I don't know that I think Carnage really... I think Carnage is kind of like a catch-all for all the other symbiotes, but, you know, the idea is your thing becomes so successful, it gets a goddamn card in Marvel Snap, and then somebody wants the name to be in 3D. That's your goal with these projects, and that Spider-Verse the Infinity comic seems to be doing bunts, successful bunts, not big swings for the Grand Slam. Nobody's going for, you know, out of the park. Everybody seems to be really content to get it right past midfield and I'm really looking for, with a title like Spider-Verse, I'm looking for, for no fucking reason when the ball is in the air, somebody to appear on each base and now it's some kind of weird tri-baseball and there's nine bases and there's three people on each base and I'm swinging nine bats and hitting 36 balls. Like Spider-Verse is meant to be this idea of the exponential exploration of the idea of the totemic importance of a character who understands being super means you must be responsible when you don't give me that in its grandeur by conjuring the name Spider-Verse. You cheapen Spider-Verse as a brand identity and let 
lessen my direct need for more things in that verse. What I love about that explanation is when you started, you know, one of the things you said was that these are not grand slams. They are good, but they are not grand slams. And I think that that's in that way, that is not damning with faint praise. That is kind of just evaluating what's there. Each of these stories really is a pleasure to read, but your longer and more severe explanation of what the problem is really just points to why, despite having nothing bad to say about any of this, what is happening here might be indicative of a larger problem and a sort of directionlessness to the idea of the Spider-Verse. And it's so important because, like I said, they don't seem to be slowing down on this. So if they are moving directionlessly without a lot of real power behind the engine that is moving this whole idea forward, it just becomes something that you can't invest that much in because you don't really have a ton of trust that anybody is going to do the thing that makes you feel like, okay, we are in it for the Spider-Verse long term now. And that's, I think, the value of why, to start back at our initial discussion, the importance of the totemic symbology element, the idea that all spider people are linked by a shared sense of responsibility, of an overwhelming feeling that they must be vital. That's something that I think all spider people have. They must be vital to the success of their community. Not necessarily in an overt way, but not every spider person is a get in there and punch. We've seen that there's a lot more to being a spider person than just the superpowers of it. There's a lot of spider people whose roles are cerebral, whose roles are behind the scenes. I sort of think I would reject the notion that any Aunt May or any Uncle Ben doesn't have some special secondary role in the sort of revolution cycle of the spider person. You know, when we talk about perhaps the Phoenix, it does seem that no matter the discussion of the Phoenix we're going with, there is always some very powerful masculine force to contrast the Yonic force in a significant way, whether it's in an overt, intentional, long-term situation. But if we take a look at the original Phoenix, you can either choose Cyclops or Wolverine, depending on the vantage point of Jean's perspective and that time. For Rachel, we could comfortably use a character like, say, Franklin, who she's married to for a time. Later on, the Phoenix would be revealed to have had significant relations with Odin, who explores that point in the timeline. I think we can agree that there must have been some overwhelming masculine forces involved in the Phoenix's behavior in AVX. And so that was just, there was an extended, I forgot we're not on video like we are the other days of the week now, and I just stared really intently at the camera. So, you know, you got that eyebrow raised. My big disappointment with the Spider-Verse Infinity comic is that they are very good stories, which means, or at least passing stories, which means they're going to continue to be produced in a title that deserves other good stories. These good stories belong in a, like, the spiders you know kind of title. And Spider-Verse should be like, who the fuck is that spider? Right? Like, it should be two very different radio stations. Yeah. If this were a book called Spider Stories, I would be into it. I would read it. You'd have to market it a little bit, but you could convince me that these sort of low-key adventures of spider people are are worth checking out. And then Spider-Verse is something that plays on the 
idea that we have come to know that there is a multiverse like really with a separate lane for spider people and we got a bunch of that in web warriors we have seen that it doesn't all have to be an event that there can be spider verse stories that are their own thing they don't have to be big continuity things but they do have to embrace the the spider verse conventions and i really want that book like i said where the the edge of spider verse and spider-man section is is doing its own thing it's very cool but in the meantime we've got all these characters that we've established know each other that we've established like spider gwen have ways of getting around the multiverse that they have they're friends with each other and we've told those stories we know that there's room for it it just is a matter of embracing it in this current climate and finding a way to really capitalize on what makes the spider-verse unique it's sort of unbelievable how effective a phrase can be because the moment you said spider-man gets his own lane and i'm listening to everything you're saying i'm realizing that something we're talking about in terms of the multi-levels of multiverse is it's almost like when you are looking at the marvel universe right it's like playing like a free free flow kind of game but instead it's like everything intersects so it's got that very final fantasy 10 final fantasy 8 very grid lines all intersecting in neon kind of vibe and one of the things that happens is if you're looking at it from the top and it's all 100 layers of this perfect thin glass that's laid in with these beautiful neon lights right and you say each level is some office or some part of the marvel universe and you go layer by layer and you keep turning off the things that are less important than others so when you're top down looking at the 100 layers of this you go turn off the predator variant covers and half of the books released each month go away right and then you still have 99 layers of the marvel universe to explore and then you say all right you know what take away obscure au's that you know all together each share five appearances a year and now you know that might be the first time you notice there's a few fewer lights and then you go through the next several layers and as you keep going layers through the marvel reality no matter what spider-man is on that bottom place spider-man is the neon color that shines through all the others that is the predominant tone of a single character in the marvel universe i don't argue that the x-men are probably a more significant portion of the marvel universe but for the most part it takes a handful of your best x-men to outweigh a casual mary jane you know i would love to see for all of our love of her i would love to see domino anchor as many series as black cat but i don't think we live in that timeline that's a really interesting that makes me think a lot the idea of you know comparing a character like domino to black cat and there are a ton of similarities there is a degree to which everybody that orbits around peter parker is sort of given a a different kind of weight it's not that they're more important or better characters or that they're getting featured anymore it's just a lot more anybody in spider-man's orbit could at any moment start anchoring their own book for whatever reason that happens plenty in the x-men corner but it's almost always a surprise unless it's like one of the big ones or you know it it turns out that it is a non-current continuity a, a flashback story any number of things but we just don't do a ton of solos with the x-men besides wolverine but there is a black cat and mary jane book you're absolutely right about that and it's it just ends up being 
being so much more plausible that the individuals of the spider universe, while often working together, are going to function as individuals. And the existence of a multiverse of spider people obviously makes that a little more complicated insofar as it's a lot of potential single stories. But it's part of the tone of this corner of the Marvel Universe. And it, it does make a lot of sense that any one of these characters could, in whatever way, anchor their own book. It's almost weirder when they're a team, like Web Warriors. I'm up for that, too, as long as we are really reaching out to the many iterations that we have seen that go outside of 616 continuity. And I think a more fascinating thing that I haven't seen done yet is we keep seeing what if this character stood in place of Spider-Man. And it's always some version of this person being Spider-Man. We never see what if this person's existing character set and everything about it and all of the trappings exactly as it is were trope magnified exponentially instead of switching over and giving Gwen clones. You know, and not that Gwen is a person on her own the way uh, Peter was prior. You know what I mean? But let's say you said, what if Scott Summers got the Peter Parker treat and you switched things over there? Well, now the bad guy primarily is going to be sinister instead of Osborne. Now, instead of clones, it's going to be siblings. Siblings coming out of everywhere. Somehow there's dozens of Summers siblings. And in place of the death of Gwen Stacy, you would probably have the death of Jean Grey as it happened as an equal, not as a damsel. At, at least as an equal, if not a vastly superior life form here to devour him. And that's what I wonder about if that's the next step. Instead of treating other, instead of giving other people the Peter Parker treatment, what if you treated other people like they were as important as Peter Parker? And that's that's really where my head is at with Spider-Verse and being kind of let down by this, you know, title for its failure of imagination, not for its failure of composition. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot more that I can add except for what I'm really focused on at this point is that two people who are not especially big Spider-Man fans are sitting here kind of dreaming up ways in which we could engage more with the wider Spider-Man universe. And to me, that says a lot about the potential here and the need to maybe make some sort of unsafe choices in hopes that we interact with something that gets us excited about us. And yeah, you know, I think we sound excited. We're waxing poetic about the symbolic important, you know, we're talking about it. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say, if I'm thinking about it objectively, is like, what if we were to find out that a bunch of Marvel heroes are endless? We discovered destiny was an endless, that death was an endless. These were characters that had already existed in the DC universe. The Sandman already existed in the DC universe. These were not concepts that Neil Gaiman came to the party and said, number one, I do a phenomenal reading of Dickens. Look at the fuck up. If anybody slept on that this year, sat on you. Number two. Also, have you guys ever thought of the concept of death being personified? And everybody over at Distinguished Competition went, it's never been done. Like, that's not what happened. So I guess imagine for a minute that somebody came along and said, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Captain America, Jean Grey, Storm. God, it's going to be so X-Men heavy if I do it. But 
you know, Invisible Woman, hey, right? You guys are the Marvel Endless. You know what I mean? When you're talking about Spider-Man, it all kind of comes back to that delirium line. Spider-Man's existence deforms Marvel's reality, and that's responsibility. And I think that's the heart of why Spider-Verse works, because you're not discussing a needle in a haystack. You're talking about a polar through line that hits every world at just the right tilt that it establishes a coalescing of what the standard of heroic should be in response to the regime forming the problem. We see it often in the form of Peter versus capitalism in the name of science and Peter versus Jonah in the name of journalism. Peter is just a down on his luck young man trying to take photos, trying to pay the bills. He has to cheat to make his ends meet because he's dealing with a hypersensationalized lunatic most of the time. Though anytime they want to make Jonah a good guy and give him that fucking banging grandpa body, what is wrong with me, man? I just think at the end of the day, what Spider-Man represents has to be as unique as it is because the position they have put him in, in terms of multifunction within the Marvel Universe, is so grand in scope that if he couldn't be so many things to so many people simultaneously, the efficacy of the Marvel Universe would fail, which is why so many spider titles have such vastly different tones. Same for Wolverine, and I kind of want to say there's got to be a female character that carries the same caveat. I want to say it. I want to say it. I want to say it. But if wants were horses, this would be my little pony friendship is magic. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I think we really are giving all of this such a fair shot, you know, maybe even beyond what it deserves because capitalism is cold. And if stories aren't sparking your interest, a lot of people, most people even would really just move on that we still go in depth. We obviously do because love of these books, you know, love of these characters, love of this whole process. But at the end of the day, what we're really doing is spinning off other ideas that we would love to see, not really able to identify a ton here that we're like, this is doing it. You know, and it's to that end that I think it makes sense that we take a look at Spider-Verse Unlimited Infinity Comic number one, a standalone issue that looks at the heart of what we've been discussing this whole time. It was released March 16th, 2022, written by Anthony Piper, with pencils and inks by Bruno Oliveira, with colors by Pete Pantazis, with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And this story is sort of a, it's tough to be a bug kind of look at being Peter Parker, which transforms into a sort of, it's tough to be a bug for all spider people. And the universality of what it seeks to explore by putting Peter in a position where he's just trying to do something nice, get a pumpkin pie for his aunt. It's really a lot of the exploration of what makes a spider comic a spider comic. This idea that you're beholden to some greater idea. There's always something lurking in the background. The number of times that the background has green and purple in it as the two primary colors, whether it's the paint, it's the giant billboard uh, road signs behind him uh, throughout the story that there's always the sense of evil lurking right behind throughout the transformations across the different spider characters. I think what we're looking at is really an on paper version of what you and I just discussed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, th- this one really feels like it should be kind of somewhere in the middle because what you get next is, and to the point that I, I like kind of confused my language when I was talking about the next 
story wherein Miles, Gwen, and Peter all interact, because that really feels like even closer to the heart of what Spider-Verse ought to be about. Like, it's it's not, because it's not multiversal at all, but it's there. It's these three big Spider characters interacting. This one is just kind of another Peter Parker moment, and it speaks to a lot of what we know and love about Peter, his kind of jokey, sad sack, always doing the right thing shtick. It's it's perfectly fine and funny, and it all rings really true. Like, this has captured the essence of a a day in the life of Spider-Man. It What is Spider-Verse about this? And that's the core complaint that I run back to. I really appreciate these stories. I love the flawless cycling through the Spider-People, through the art. I maybe wish we had room for, you know, it's, it's sort of funny because I'm like, oh, wow, there's as many Spider-Women as there are Spider-Pig people. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's as many non-white spider people as there are spider pig people in this. Okay. There's always room for the pig. Okay. But... God, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's pig people that read this. I don't know. Are there pig people? I don't know. Some realm, some universe out there through a magical viewing screen, I guess. I don't want to be mean. I just, I feel like that is the, the big failing here. You know, I know it's less room on the page, but it's a cute one and done. I really appreciated that there was a one and done to start this off because I was actually frustrated by how long this first arc afterwards is so that this one was nice and short was kind of a cheer up yeah insofar as in hindsight now it feels like well at least we started with a cute cute one-off but at the time i just sort of felt like this is how we're starting it's so low energy and so unsurprising i don't know that it lead led me to feeling hopeful about what i was about to read that's really interesting because like i actually had the app the absolute opposite experience i thought this was such a fun Fun fucking way to start because it explored spiderdom in a we're all part of this. It was very, you know, we're all in this together. We're all stars and you know it, right? And I was here for that. That was something that I think gave me a little bit more positivity for this series than I ultimately wound up having as a result of the subsequent arc, which I did enjoy. I really enjoyed the subsequent arc. I'm not saying that issues two through six by Jay Holtem, Nathan Stockman, Pete Pantazis, and VCs Joe Sabino released from March 29th through May 24th, 2022 are bad for being focused on Miles. I'm saying I maybe felt a little misled by the title. So once the shock wore off, I enjoyed the arc. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. The syndicate, it kind of ends up being the most interesting thing as a Spider-Man person that didn't really realize most of these characters were around in this form. And that's one of the values like you said right off the bat about what you can do with an Infinity comic when you're not beholden to making sure that this book sells, right? It's I think the problem is making sure that your book has enough energy that it'll bring people back because I think most people don't read these the day they come out. We read the May Days the day they came out because it's fucking May Day. But I probably catch up on X-Men Unlimited every now and then. I probably catch up on a mini when it's done, right? But you know 
as long as you've got something that gets somebody to come back and catch up, that's a great way. Like we were saying, to get people experienced with the syndicate. It actually really helped me that I read this before I read some of Zeb Wells' Amazing Spider-Man because it allowed me to have a little better fundamental understanding of these characters, their relationships, how they interact. So I was really grateful for that. And yeah, I definitely think the syndicate stands out as one of the better parts of this arc. And I like the contrast of this trio of Peter, Gwen, and Miles. The other thing that this trio of Peter, Gwen, and Miles points out to me is I don't know that I need solo titles anymore. I probably need, if it's going to be a bunch of big, like, I mean, I just, I think my problem is I don't need Wolverine as a solo title. And that is emblemic of a lot of books I don't need as solo titles. I'm not saying that you should take all, you know, Iron Man, Cap, and Thor, and you should each, you should give them each 12 pages. And there's a book called like, no. I wouldn't want it to be those three. That's, you know, part of the same gendered problem that led me to having trouble coming up with a character on that same level that's a woman. I would love to see fewer solo titles because I think they're wasteful, to be really honest with you. I think when there's only so much room on the shelf, solo titles represent a level of vanity. When it's an Iceman, sure. When it's Jean Grey, sure. These are characters that had been long overdue their solo titles. When it's going back to characters like Dazzler, yeah. When it's Wolverine, well, he's kind of always got a soul. When he winds up with two at a time, I'm throwing chairs through storefront windows from the inside to get out because I'm so angry. I'm not uh, going around and, you know, vandalizing storefronts because of Marvel publishing. So, uh, you know, I'm struggled to figure out why Spider-Man, Peter Parker, needs more than one book a month. Beyond that, I really love the idea of three spider people sharing a book called Spider-Man. It feels like a good use of this trio. Yeah, and I get what you're saying. As I was saying earlier, like, it's something you so expect from the Spider-Man universe that there will really be a lot of individually focused titles that honestly, like, that might be one of those kind of bigger experimental swings to take, which is reducing it down to one Spider-Man book and playing around with some other group titles. These three, like, the Spider-Trio, Goblins with Phil and Norman, I don't know, that's terrible, but I think it is time to kind of move away from the standard model of just like whatever three to six Peter Parker living his life titles we can do and then like one or two other things in that same area to really drop it into some team books and they don't even have to be like traditional team books in the way that we think of them this really is three people who are friendly with each other who all kind of do the same work who want to support each other but they don't patrol together they don't have a the headquarters together. Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy just happened to be around and wanted to assist Miles. And that really can be enough. But we know there are other spider people who can fit into a similar formula. And we also know that there are so many ways to approach why you would do a team book and what an Infinity comic can do to enhance and inform your readers about what the background is, why this story exists in the first place. It feels like that is what I keep expecting this book to be doing in each individual individual arc. Like, oh... I'm probably going to see this person again at something in, in some kind of event that's coming up. So of course I want to know who, you know, Penny Parker is, but it doesn't really give us that. Like it's not preparing us for anything. And it really like 
use the particular medium of Infinity Comics for what they can do for you. Because I felt that maybe this read a bit more like when it was plotted. It was plotted for a standard book. Because the first thing I need to point out is that it really takes great advantage of the Infinity Comic format. The art ultimately uses beautiful panel breakdowns, a lovely sense of gutterless borders that create a dynamic flow, a lot of using smoke to transition panels, using explosions that come out of the ground to create a sense of movement through the page. There's a fluidity that takes great, great advantage of everything Spider-Man has to offer visually, like that panel where Peter says about mm, three-fourths of the way through the issue, Miles, you okay? And he is serving his ass up to us so perfectly. Uh, It's good job, Peter. And I think the art on this book is amazing, but as much as I appreciate the syndicate, Beetle, Electro, Trapster, Lady Octopus, the amount they're shown just arguing, the amount they're shown being generally incompetent due to an inability to create any sort of dialogue. Like it often felt like these characters were just shouting separate things that didn't have anything to do with each other. And yeah, let women do everything men do, but then I'm going to resent seeing the stupid things men do when they come from these women characters as well, especially when it wastes what I'm considering highly precious panel space which is at a deep premium. That's a really interesting point. You're definitely not wrong. I'm realizing it as you say it and so far as like I thought it was like solid comedy and good kind of like again I'm talking about using the medium here like rather than giving us what we would expect from a book so no one is disappointed when they buy it you can kind of play around a little more in the idea that these heroes have a level of incompetence that leads them to a lot of bickering and arguing that can be really funny and a good way to sort of show these two groups of people playing off of each other but you're absolutely right insofar as it just leads to a bunch of female characters who are always getting too little page time not getting to really do anything that impresses or entices us now that i'm seeing it i sort of wonder if you're not going to go the comedy route or even if you are going to go the comedy route how can you do it in a way that enhances our love of both the spider people and their rogues gallery. I don't have a lot of prescriptions for one, what one would do there, but it, I do find myself in reflecting on it, wishing that I was getting more of a, a feature for some of these people and less of uh, using them for uh, punchline and setups. And it's not, because I do agree with you, there is really something worth exploring about these women doing these great comedy. So it's not that I'm against what's there. It's just that it feels like there's so much of it in a story that's supposed to be about Miles Morales wanting to grow into being a hero. You know, we get a taste of it at the end of the first issue where he's like, if you and Gwen hadn't been there, womp de bomb But as we get into the five issues of this second arc, there's a lot of really interesting explorations of Miles' psychology and also Beatles' psychology. 
psychology at times. But I wonder if these stories are being directly acknowledged in what we're seeing from Miles on the page in printed titles. This felt in a lot of ways like while there were like that opening of the fifth issue, issue six of the Unlimited series itself, that opening with Miles streaking down in so many ways into that big open blue and then Beatles streaking down the value of storytelling that uses the visual medium. That's a show not tell moment if I've ever seen one and it's a master class in comic writing but this was such a hold our place story. This was such a don't move miles too far forward at any point kind of story because by the end I feel like this is a lesson I've read Miles learn a few times. In a world where there's no reruns and you can get away with using the season 2 Christmas episode of Bewitched in season 8 just updating the kids. Sure. But now we live in an age where this media is readily available so that this is a rote sort of story for Miles feels a little bit plainer to me. Yeah, because we are so far into everybody's stories at this point, Miles is not a new character. Miles has his own video game. The idea that we're still reminding you that he's not sure of his place as Spider-Man and is can he not do it compared to the other two? And is it weird that they're both called Spider-Man? Is that confusing for people? Those are pretty played tropes for Miles and for the interaction between these characters. And I don't think using an Infinity comic where, again, there's no real concern that somebody will be like, I can't believe I paid $2.99 to be reminded for the hundredth time that Miles has trouble with his identity as Spider-Man. Like, it's it sort of goes all the way over the opposite side of things. I don't think it's explaining anything to anybody at this point. And so, as you mentioned, page space being valuable, panel space being valuable, it is unfortunate to use any of it for repeating something that you basically know already at this point. Tombstone is having a Rihanna circa 2010 moment. He is everywhere. And I don't know that I felt that he added anything to this particular story. I feel like one of the things that keeps happening with these spider characters is that we get so caught up in that if this is a spider lineage character, there must be more spider lineage characters. So I feel like all said and done, if I have a real review on this arc, one through six as like a collective piece i give it a b minus and probably because i would have cut like 20 percent of what was there to further and better explore preferably some of the more overall holistic things about the story would have fleshed out the story in and of itself taking a better look at its individual pieces instead of spending so much time trying to make it seem relevant to the overall spider line yeah i think i'm in the same place and so far as about a b minus there really isn't anything that is just like face plant bad about this but it it doesn't super grip me or excite me and i don't know that it's certainly not really memorable i'm i'm just hoping for more from the medium and from the characters
I don't know what it was I was hoping for from Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse, but while I appreciate Tim Seeley and Jody Nishijima alongside Frederico Blee, Juan Fernandez, and Fernando Cifuentes, all with letters by VCs Ariana Mar, while I appreciate their look at the complexities of the woman that is Gwen Stacy, this was an example of where the game engine got the better of the designers, and you were so concerned with making, you know, the magic orbs that are necessary to advance the game a necessary plot of the engine that I didn't really learn anything about Gwen. I learned a whole lot about a cool look at AUs, but there wasn't a whole lot about Gwen that I walked away with where I feel she is a unique and a unique protagonist within her own narrative. And it's almost worse than that because they specifically specifically explain that each of these other incarnations of Gwen, whether it is Thor Gwen or, uh, you know, Captain America Gwen, they are like specific slices of her personality to the point where they have to ham up that shtick so much that it is not Gwen's particular id or ego. It is just the idea of id or ego in a Captain America costume that looks like this Gwen Stacy. So there's no... Like, this particular slice is Gwen's love of her father, which is, like, you know, unique for her, and that's her thing. It is qualities that all brains have kind of stripped from the person in a way that just, for me, I don't know that I ever really identified a thing where I was like, yeah, that's Gwen right there. In large part, because even after all this time, we haven't had so much time with Gwen that I'm like, oh, yeah, I I know this about her. Like, we kind of started to skim the surface of that in Spider-Geddon, but I don't know that we are so there that at any moment in this, I was just like, that is the thing that I know about Gwen Stacy. I think the big regret I have is coming to understand my problem with the book far too late to adjust my barometer, maybe with enough time, and the following, it'll help, but I recognize Gwen Stacy as a multiversal character because my understanding of Gwen Stacy requires the multiverse. That does not mean I am interested in the multiversity of Gwen Stacy. That's the complexity. I'm not all that interested in the multiversity of Peter fucking Parker. I'm interested in the multiversity of Spider-Man. I wouldn't read Parker-verse. I'm not here to read Gwen-verse. I would have loved Spider-verse, Ghost Spider gone gay wire, and then they all make out with each other. I'd read that. But like, I... (laughs) I'd read that. That'd be pretty fun. But I like that in a list like just you know and again kind of like a lost girls i guess that is so i right at least what you're saying there is something that is so like out there and is something that could at least be unique to the idea that this one person needs their own verse i don't i mean obviously it's not realistic and it is funny but even the idea that two of them would kiss is not something that's going to happen in you know between any of the versions of peter parker that we're seeing so that is one example of something in which we could be like oh this is unique to Gwen and important that it's here there were a couple of really cute things here but there's a question of so okay my amazing brilliant husband and partner and producer on half these shows has so he's really come around on the golden he was really anti-golden
Golden Girls when we first got together, he was like, I don't know how you want to have this on. Like, you know, late night is like, this is, this is old people. And I'm like, it's the greatest show. And over time, he's come to appreciate it a lot more. One of the things that we've come to see is where the names of writers from the Golden Girls have gone on to affect other mainstream popular shows. Mitchell Hurwitz, Mark Cherry, Joss Whedon's father, Tom Whedon, writers from the show Frasier, writers from a number of shows came from or, you know, went to Golden Girls. And it was a really major hub for comedy writers to move through. That also then leads to, later on, those jokes sort of stuck with those writers. So there are references that things still make today that no one really fucking gets but when you go back and you watch the golden girls make that joke everybody in that audience is laughing at the reference no one is laughing because that's just an accepted joke that makes everybody laugh for no reason and you've always heard it with a laugh track so you laugh when you hear it too right that's not a joke to that audience that needs explaining right but it is a joke that we know as a reference to something else the number of people People who tell me something different if I say hey where do you first know I said good day from everyone has a different reference I think that's part of the problem with this miniseries I've seen so many that person Thor and I've seen the funny person Thor not that I think spider Gwen is particularly unworthy in like a giggle fest kind of way but when you've had dazzle Thor you know you've done the thing and that's such a good example because we really did get everybody as a Thor in Secret War in a way that it was really interesting to see and fun to play with, but we knew we were out of it by the end of the summer and there was not going to be any sort of meditation on multiversal authoritude. And not that there can't be or shouldn't be, but sometimes it's fun to give the multiversal reference a little bit less of like a, here's the deep story behind it and more of a, here's Here's a silly thing you can look at and kind of laugh along with and and enjoy imagining while we do the real story, the thing that is actually going to matter to you in some capacity. What this story also offered, though, that I think was definitely underrepresented is a crazy number of guest cameos. There are some pretty interesting ones like, oh, there's an Arcus here. And I think like most people probably would think of Arcus white Vision from the end of WandaVision. That's kind of like Vision looking like Arcus Vision, which is a different character, but it's kind of a... And Vision's been like, you know, ghosty white a number of times. But, you know, there's... That's an interesting kind of like drop-in, but that one of the Gwens is legitimately from Heroes Reborn, which I hope everybody enjoyed our just-released coverage of the end of Avengers. That was wild to record after this, but release before this, so I'm trying to to sound like I know how it went. What a great time we will have had had already by now, then, from now. Can't believe that thing happened with the stuff. Soon. Yes, that was unfortunately a moment that got me too excited too fast because I thought if they were doing that, then, you know, there might be kind of something fun to play around with here. And it is super cool that she's there, but it doesn't sort of the rest of the series can't really pay back the promise of that first exciting cameo. 
And I really don't think it ever comes close as much as I want it to. It's almost like the book is kind of nervous about its own potentiality. It's so eager to show you that the creators have a deft understanding of Gwen and her value that there's a mad rush to tell the whole story as quickly as possible. And yet I truly don't feel that a whole lot more is told in that story about Spider-Gwen, Gwen Pepper, Pepper Ghost, Ghost Pepper, Pepper's Ghost, the Wendy Pepper's Ghost effect. I don't think there's a whole lot more there than is told in the eight issues of Spider-Verse Unlimited by Ken Yamura, released from July 19th, 2022 through September 6th, 2022. Now, it's of note that while Ken Nomura is credited with all of the everything on every part of this, he does credit additional help on art to Chihiro Inoue, Christina Triana, and Luis Yang, none of whom are credited on Marvel or the Marvel Wikia, which I think is kind of a bummer. So I, you know, I wish everybody got credited all of the times, but, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work on that. I think the number of short stories exploring Penny Parker in what is some adorably, intentionally, challengingly, deceptively simple art that's as many adjectives as Stan Lee would have used, I think is really an interesting point of contrast. Yeah, and it feels like there is a lot more heart and focus behind the Penny stories. They weren't my jam in the biggest way. Like, they just maybe weren't what I was looking for from the character, but I really appreciated the strength of understanding and vision that Ken Nomura brought to this character who was created by Gerard Way. <laughs> so it like for all the kind of anime references and the mech references and stuff like that that are inherent to the character, going in this much more kawaii chibi direction, not necessarily an ill-advised move, maybe not what I was expecting, but like it was done really with a lot of heart behind it and with full confidence, not dipping a toe in the water, nothing choppy. Like this is the story we are getting and it is these issues are going to be penny in this way the entire way through where for Gwen, it really did feel like, let me just dip a toe into eight different pools and you guys tell me which one you like. And if you don't like one, we'll never have to go back to it. Don't worry. And it just doesn't leave a lot to grab onto. The thing that it focused on that I found the most of value was the exploration of the idea of a young person looking for acceptance despite a fantastical ability. And that's something that I think has been lost often to the sensationalization of the idea of a Spider-Man. I'm talking about how Spider-Man has gained such totemic value, such symbolic importance that you can't tell a Spider-Man story 
story. Like, okay, just to jump back to another sitcom for a second. Like, Modern Family or Abbott Elementary or any show where the camera, The Office, you know, where the camera is like a subtle nod wink. Everybody in that scene who's acting like everything's normal theoretically had to sign a waiver. So while I know it's a it's a fictionalization, the, the thing is a carry through. Those people are choosing to be in that room, some of them probably in part because of the camera. So the people who see what's going on and that there is a camera are behaving as such in response to the celebrification created by a camera being pointed at someone. So by that, I don't mean that everybody's always going like, oh my God, it's Spider-Man. Oh, because Spider-Man is everybody's favorite hero. I mean, Spider-Man, by virtue of being like 60 ton strong and able to cling to walls, is going to get some fucking stares. And everybody wants to shoot the prettiest girl in the room, even when she's wet. And I think that's something that is hard to explore in modern spider stories and was explored with a deftness by Ken Nimura, who celebrated the anxiety of the coming of age, who enjoyed the preciousness of the protection of a parent and a loved one, who wanted to explore the identity of heritage and of enculturation by way of family. I just really thought this was charming. I did too. I felt as though getting this vision of a girl who is not surprisingly different from any other kid in any really notable way when it comes to how she sees herself, how she sees her schoolmates, how she relates to the world. We so often get these deep, tight looks at characters, like even a character like Peter, where it's their perspective has to be totally unique or why are we even looking at them? Like, yeah, they're the everyman. Like, you could be Peter Parker too, but also, like, the things that are special about him are so separate from what anybody else in the world is experiencing that this is why you need to pay attention. This is why this is a character worth focusing on. And I thought there was such an authentic, like, Penny is confused about how to socialize with other kids her age. She wants to hang out with the popular girls, but she doesn't quite know how to do it. And it is very clear that she feels that she is unique in this experience, but that Ken Nomura does not feel that she's unique in this experience. And he is relating something that would be very recognizable to even people who others would have considered popular in school. It's just being an awkward young person and not quite knowing what to do with yourself. And that as something that is unremarkable in and of itself, but interesting in the context of, well, what happens when you're that, but also whenever a mech attacks, you have to get in your mech and fight the thing. That I don't think anybody has really managed to capture for Penny prior to this. And it was the thing about it that really made me feel like this is why I Spider-Verse. Like if she were doing this and interacting with the other spider people in any way, this would have been the perfect one for me. Because we see how she's similar to other spider people, how she's different, and how she's similar to everybody else in the world and a little different. And it was just, it felt really true to life, really authentic. And uh, yeah, I like I said, it wasn't really what I wanted, but I find myself really charmed by it and very happy that somebody decided to give me what they wanted to write, not what they thought I wanted out of a character or what other people had given us from that character. There were also things I just didn't know or understand or expect. Like, I guess the red hair clip thing was like maybe even hard to understand at first. That feels like 
something that's like so specific. Oh, that's the same red hair clip. Give it to me. I'm going to tell this like in two parts. Like there's something so disjointed about it. If I did have one, let's go with negative statement to make about the title. It's that overall the issues did not feel even comparably length. Everything felt like it was its own story in its own length. Some things felt very standalone. And while that's cool, I maybe would have appreciated some, some understand. I don't need it to be so on the nose, but admittedly, like I said, I read these in like one sitting to do my notes and, you know, I've skimmed through them other times, but some of them took me like two minutes and some of them took me like six minutes and some of the two minutes were standalones and some of the six minutes were stands. So it was just kind of like, there wasn't a whole lot of consistency to the format. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know that there was, given that there were seven of these, I don't know that there was, there felt like there was such a clear vision for what the broad point of the stories as a whole was. Uh, And this is true of all of them. Uh, It was in such a way that I just, I kept asking myself, okay, but what does this have to do with the Spider-Verse and with Penny's interaction with the other Spider-People? They were really, really sweet stories, um, but they almost like, it's almost like Alligator Loki, where I love it so much, but it doesn't feel like it matters to any kind of continuity. It's just this really kind of beautiful snapshot. But if you told me that this was ever going to come up in any important way in a mainline or even an alternate universe continuity, I would be a little uh, confused. And after all of this, I just wish there had been sort of like a, and you will see Penny and all of this stuff that you learned about her in blank. I agree. Those are really great perspectives. I think especially with those in mind, I'm going to give Gwenverse a... C minus and I'm going to give the Penny story a B I think those are pretty dead on grades I might be giving Gwenverse a C minus that I wish could be a B based on the quality of the art which I thought was terrific and it's not that the story is like an F that it drags it down it's just not the exploration I wanted for a metaversal story right now it wasn't the exploration I wanted for Gwen right now and especially with this Penny book coming out around the same time it really made me feel like that's what you can do with a smaller budget take note you know what i mean yeah the penny for me is is a b and most of that like it not being an a really just has a lot more to do with where it is situated in this spider verse book that seems a little bit aimless but really really beautiful story great great style to it i will remember this one for sure while i don't know that i will be able to take my memories of what i learned about penny into any particularly relevant Spider-Verse story, I will remember the art, I will remember the heart behind it. For Gwenverse, I just... It's probably about a C minus and I I don't have anything like it was horrible, but I just didn't take anything away from I I won't really remember it. And the thing that I will really remember about it is it's like the fact that it went too far into the verse idea. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with the fact that like spider verse. Yeah, any number of people can be a spider man, a spider person. Gwen verse, anybody can be a Gwen. Uh, I don't know that that concept works. It doesn't really it's not about the individual and even if it is about the individual you better make it about the individual i just feel like this was like about how a brain works with superheroes the 
nature of exploring characters needs to be about more than a gimmick. That's why I think I am maybe starting to find diminishing returns on things like Edge of Spider-Verse, though the diminishing returns are contrasting and complicated because I think with Edge of Spider-Verse volume uh, that came out in 2022, there were hits and man did the bangers bang. We went gay ape shit over Sakura Spider. That was like a defining moment for us as a team. But one of the things that I find like, so, you know, we're kind of doing this trying to be as loose as possible. We're trying to hang loose, slam heat. We are, I please, no one, please, no one slam heat. It's an epidemic. So we're trying to do this really casually and I'm trying to hear where the conversation is going and I'm trying to lead us and hope that, you know, Teak's with me. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great place to segue to Edge of the Spider-Verse. And one of the things that that really highlights is the aimlessness of this era and the things that fuck so hard in Edge of Spider-Verse fuck so good. And the things that are a huge miss about Edge of Spider-Verse, I really don't know what I read. That we are continuing to repeat this, like, let us just throw you a bunch of spider people. And if you get on Twitter and tell us how much you love one, you never know. You might see them in something like just tell us what you want approach to adding different identities into the Spider-Man totem. I we it's absolutely a point of diminishing returns, but also like we are starting to cheapen great concepts from before and new concepts being introduced in a way that I could accept if this was just like, you know, cast a wide net and maybe you pull a few out that are that are gold. Sure. But I feel like even the gold ones now, because we've done this so many times and we're just repeating repetition of repeating, it's none of this comes out looking as sparkly as it did in the original Spider-Verse story. And it's not for a lack of better diversity among the creators, for which I am very positive. The issues here came out in August, September, and October of 2022, featuring writing from Dan Slott, Alex Sugura, Carla Pacheco, Dustin Weaver and DJ Bryant, Mallory Rosenthal, Ram Z, Chris Giarusculo, Nikesh Shukla, Shinsiro Kasama, Zach Davison, Jordan Bloom, David Hine, T. Franklin, J.M. Dematius, Steve Fox, and Phil Lord, with art from Martin Cocolo, Cal Majado, Pere Perez, Dustin Weaver, Iguera, Rory Coleman, Paco Medina, Chris Gross, Chris Giaruso, Walden Wong, Mark Bagley, David Baldone, Paco Medina, Gerard Sandoval, Abhisek Malsini, Samai Keegan, Hikari Usugi, Michael Shelfer, Luciano Vecchio, Ty Templeton, Jethro Morales, Bob McLeod, Kay Zama, David Lopez, Brian Reber, Rico Renzi, Edgar Delgado, Israel Silver, Israel Silva, And- Andrew Crossley, Eric Arseniega, Dono Sanchez Almera, Jim Campbell, David Lopez, with letters by Joe Caramagna, BC's Travis Lanham, Chris Giarusso, and Chris Eliopoulos. You deserve award, an award for getting through all that. On to the stories. Okay. Jeez, like, <clears throat> so much. They all deserve it. Every single one of them. They made the work happen. So. Yeah. I want to start with, I have no relationship with Spider Laird. It's fine. It's silly. It's dumb. 
dumb. Maybe not my thing. I get why it works for people, but I'm not like a I'm not like a big sword and sorcery guy, to be really honest. Yeah, there's not really much more to say than that. We got some other version of a spider character like this in 1602. Um, sure, it's totally fine. If this is the one for you, I love that for you. Because what it does do is it allows us an opportunity to remember that there are some spider characters that are maybe just dumb. <laughs> like, but like, not so stupid, it's stupid. Like, every now and then, a game show comes, you know, comes out where it's like, don't, it's basically Jenga, a giant Jenga game. And you're like, okay, that's pretty stupid, but I'll watch it. You watch a couple and it's fine. Okay. But then every now and then, a game show comes out that's like, we just throw things at people. <laughs> and you're like, I can't get behind that. There's like nothing there, right? It's funny for a punchline, but don't make a show out of it. And for the most part, Marvel is really great about remembering to keep that you can't make a show out of it. Spider-Man to these minis, right? But Spider-Laird, as dumb as he is, you know what? He could hold down a four-issue mini. I, not my thing at all, but he could definitely hold down a four-issue mini that makes somebody happy. It would definitely be written by Tom DeFalco. I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah, just because it is not my, my dude, I don't feel strongly about it one way or the other. It does really start us off on the note of like, buckle up people. We're doing spider people from all the places you thought we would never do spider people which is fine. It's what I've come to expect now. The bigger surprise would be like if they were like, each one of these is like Peter Parker, but his hair is blonde. Peter Parker, but he doesn't like science. Well, I guess that'd be a huge change. But, you know, minor variations on Peter Parker might be really different to me versus, um, you know, something like Spider-Layered, which is just unrecognizable in comparison to standard Spider-Man. But we've seen that a lot now, so there's no surprise to it. Whereas I think, you know, Spider-Rex, is completely recognizable but is just so stupid and that's the thing it's too stupid to be a real book no one is really in it for four eight, like I mean like okay we all hear you know werewolf bar mitzvah and we're like that's hysterical what a funny bit but if Tracy Morgan was like hey guys I'm gonna release an album <laughs> of 38 two and a half minute holiday themed novelty tracks and each one of them is going to be themed to a holiday and a coming of age ritual Mm -mm. no you wouldn't buy it you would be deeply put off by everyone who didn't have an intervention for poor tracy morgan right spider rex he could get one novelty mint you know what if alan moore was like i'm gonna do a thing where spider rex is all of us maybe but like spider rex is just dumb enough that part that, you know, Carla Pacheco and Pere Perez and Brian Reber, they crafted, you know, a really funny eight pages and good on them because it is really funny. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it is very stupid. It's, of course, it's absurd, but it does feel like it knows that and it is not asking you to get too deep with it or get too invested. I don't know that all of these do this to the same degree. Like some of them really want you to want the character and I can understand why and maybe some of those characters I even would really like to see again but it's because we 
have such a mixed bag and we've done the mixed bag multiple times. I am just longing for something that separates out the, okay, we're actually going to try and work with this one and make them into something versus the like, do you just want to see what dumb things we wrote on a board and then managed to write a story about? Because both I want to see. But when they're all jumbled up like this, I just sort of, I'm constantly in a state of taking inventory and wondering like, do I have to worry about seeing Spider-Rex in a context where I have to take him seriously at the end of some crossover event? I really hope that is what Alan Moore comes out of retirement to write comics to do. I think it's likely. He writes a really powerful like Spider-Rex comic and somehow it uses all previously unpublished Mobius art. (laughs) Spider-Rex never appears, but it's like that conceptual villain that's in Arkham Asylum that never actually appears on panel. We're here. Let's do it. Somebody said, Aranya, Aranya, my dear, you're just, you're not in enough color. You look like Aranya. What we need to do is we need to bring back the Aranya and we need to make it real fucking bug spicy. Can you get bug spicy for us? And she was just like, yes, she looks like an idiot. Yeah, she does. I love it. I wish we're trying to be funnier. I wish there were something about it where she was like, I know this is dumb, but like, I can only do this job if there's a little bit of silliness in my life because life is too short and too serious. So I need you to put me back in my dumb costume. It's the only way I'm going to be able to get through this. Something like that would really kind of hook me, but it does feel less like it is about anything for the character and more about like you reader, you got a nostalgia for Aranya now, right? Good news. We're giving you that one back. Get into it, please. And here's why I am so comfortable being critical in a positive way, because I do think it is a a super nostalgia thing for me. There's a bunch of superheroes that if you really want me to believe that somebody dressed like a fucking figure skater is going to stop a methed out superoid head who's filled with alien thoughts from the mystic artifact that got embedded in his forehead, you want me to think that guy is going to be like, oh shit, this guy's going to ice escapades me down. I'm gonna stop. No. Heroes in the Marvel Universe very rarely dress for efficacy. They dress for gasps. And that is how Aranya is dressed. And I'm sorry if you don't have the the sense of humor to love some hero who dresses like a fucking asshole. But it's sort of like when that friend of yours tries to sing along with Rihanna singing anything and they're not Rihanna so they're inexplicably saying diamond and you just have to be fine with it or call them an asshole. Aranya is just going to dress like a diamond and it's beautiful. She is a one of a kind super, she's just one of a kind superhero character. She's born of so many weird things overlapping and attempt to bring back amazing fantasy while capitalizing on the soon to end JMS run, infusing some passionate Latina heritage into Spider-Man, a character, you know, world that has always existed within Spider-Man doing the you know check it out I'm a cool hip young spider thing just before Miles but certainly not to compare them just to say hey has been doing the thing for a while and I just think it's great that she's dressed like like an idiot I really think it's fun that she's dressed like she's at a Tragic Kingdom tour concert I'm sorry she got there after Bush she's not there for Gavin Rossdale's bullshit and I love it I really appreciate that enthusiasm and that makes me smile about it a little bit more. I 
don't have anything like wildly against it. I just, because I have no real connection to either version of the character, I was sort of hoping for something to kick it in for me a little bit. And that wasn't there. But the one thing that I really did appreciate about this was that we did do a Spider-Verse story that tied into a previous character and was not about just creating somebody new. I think one of the biggest bummers for me in this was that Mayday did not get a story like this. A bunch of spider people that we had seen before didn't get stories like this, and instead we introduced new people that I just don't feel like... Like, I wish there... I just feel like there were a few of these where if you were sitting down at an editorial meeting and you read the script and you saw some concept art, you might have said, like, I really appreciate this, we're going to put that on the back burner, and instead we're going to do a Mayday story, or we're going to pick somebody that has been in a Spider-Verse story before and give them an update the way Aranya is getting. That's what I loved about the Aranya story. It made me kind of feel like, okay, as a person that has read all of the verses Spider, I recognize some old faves and like I'm getting into it. The gang's getting back together. To that end, speaking of the gang getting back together, you know, pass on talking about the Spider-Noir story kind of, sort of. Huge pass. The ending is weird. I don't know where it goes in canon. Is he crazier now than before? I- I'm not sure. Um, You know, Spider-Noir stories are just not for us and Dustin Weaver can draw anything truly truly the art on this book is fucking second to none and uh, it's a beautiful book it's just not for me yeah you're absolutely right gorgeous art having him show up and be a guy from the 1940s was so right at the time because it just shows you that like in comparison to the rest of us people with those kinds of sensibilities say and do things that are unacceptable and having him die was a perfect way of being like, you know, people who have really garbage opinions can still do something heroic and then we don't have to deal with them anymore. And ever since then, there has been this desire to bring him back and be like, it's the exact same guy. He's just not saying racist stuff anymore. And you just can't have done it and then convince me that that isn't part of the guy and therefore that the guy doesn't need to be in the books anymore. I agree. Thousand percent. I really, really think it also ties into the thing we were saying before about the consistent mistakes of hyper utilizing the same small handful of spider characters that is very frustrating to me while i very much want to roll my eyes at the inclusion of spider gwen ghost spider as the first story in the second issue of edge of spider verse i think the color work that green into purple three page spread versus mistake Stereo. That, oh, that's some of the best colors I've seen in a comic like in my life. I just thought that was some of the best hypersaturation. It had a real understanding of where to pull off of the saturation and instead focus on the line work. It showed an understanding of page composition and uh, clever attention to detail. It's just some of the best color work I've seen at Marvel in years. I just really thought it was three pages worth celebrating. Yeah, I also have to kind of roll back one of my previous comments because, of course, a lot of people actually did previous spider people did get stories i just wish mayday had gotten one that's all it comes down to it seems like a thousand percent yeah i'm saying like nobody got one including mayday no a lot of people actually did mayday just didn't and that is a huge bummer to me uh that said yeah it's fantastic it's gorgeous this gives you more about gwen than most of gwen verse did like her as the drummer of a band is kind of more important to my understanding of her than anything that her
her as a Thor could ever do. So, you know, not not a like important story in the life of Spider-Gwen, but one I absolutely enjoyed and that reminds me why she is the third in a triumvirate that is Peter Miles and her. And the Lila Cheney appearance gets my love every time. Yeah. Can't ever look away from some super cool Lila Cheney. The follow-up story giving us the new Spider-UK. Listen, everything else, you have to take a backseat to this because I want this Spider-UK driving everywhere. This is just a fucking Excalibur book and it is so fun and the characters are exciting. I I don't know. I also think she's very British and she's got pink hair. I understand that Zoe is not Betsy, but she's kind of Betsy in my heart. And I just thought this was a really exciting, cool new character. It was awesome. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Also, you know, this is one of those examples. This isn't what if Peter were a girl in England. This is just an entirely different character that has a spider identity. And that's great. I think right now those are really important characters to be looking at. This is, I mean, if I can give all of these, like this whole run something, it is that the desire to actually make the diversity more than just lip service was really here and it results in characters that could be really important to people if they're if they get the time that they deserve and spider uk is the moment where you really realize like oh somebody's gonna see this and that's gonna be their spider person and i really hope that she gets the opportunity to appear in a way that allows that kid who is reading this and seeing her to get to enjoy a wealth of spider uk stores and i just like want to go out of my way to like super thank the creative team because the inclusion of spider uk's islamic faith her beautiful natural hair it made this book feel like nothing else i bought all year in a way that made me say fuck yeah worth every dime for the whole miniseries like give me something different change my perspective we spent the first hour and 30 minutes saying for a universe full of everything we sort of get the same three fucking things all the fucking time this is the opposite of that this is a champion character worth championing and i'm glad to be part of a team celebrating this sort of idea if you're going to take billy braddock away if you're going to take super blonde blue-eyed hottie with the body who's really got absolutely whatever the opposite of melanin is uncoolanin i don't know but he was really awesome but he was as white as you could design a character and this character celebrates the diversity of the uk in a way that feels honest natural she has curves she's not some skinny mini even though she's fasting she is a proud islamic woman but not in a way that she's some sort of uncool church lady she's awesome this is just a really well-designed character yep i really couldn't agree more and she is an opportunity for Marvel, for a bunch of creative voices, and for a, a lot of readers. And, you know, not just the readers who can identify with her, but ones that just want a diversity of stories. So just really exciting. And it was just, you know, it was a great story. What a good introduction to the adventures of Spider UK. I'm fully ready for this, you know, mini or ongoing at 
this point. Now, one of the things that this particular volume of Edge of Spider-Verse, I don't want to say was forced to reckon with because that puts perhaps a burden of expectation on it that was not there by force, but rather there because Dan Slott was looking to further an idea. And I have a lot of complex feelings about a single thread. This character first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 46. And so, of course, Sethura was created by JMS and John Romita Jr. I have a lot of weird feelings about her use here and that it's tacked on with this cute Annie bit. Like this three panels of Annie also worth the price of admission that she's like, I can feel it. It's the first web ever spun. That's like the most Annie dialogue ever. She's like eternally that wide-eyed kid. She's even wide-eyed in the panel. You know what I mean? I really love that. I do want to point out that standing in the background of that first panel are Khonshu and Bast and Agamotto. I definitely noticed that and it feels like this was another point at which I was like, okay, but is this a book like a series of jokes? Is it a series of like, one? What what is this here? Because that could be huge. The idea that the mythological origins of the Web of Destiny go so far back and are so strong that they interweave with some of the most important deities in the Marvel Universe is something that I, it's not even like that it needs to be in like a crossover that everybody reads, but that it is tucked away in a panel here in, uh, you know, in the middle of a series of stories that I think are a bit of a tough sell for a lot of people. It just is only unfortunate insofar as it makes the idea of the Spider-Verse as really relevant to broader Marvel cosmology really like smack a little bit. It really gives it some extra weight. And I just wish there was some kind of clear message or direction that told people what to take away from this. I am perhaps only really annoyed by the revelation that the Shethra, the Shethra, I don't know, there's something very simplistic about this backstory and the I'm a woman scorned so now I'm just a scorpion person. Like, it's so very literal and that it ends with the, you know, hornet wasping nestling of our precious Annie. It just feels like confrontational, like a battering ram in a story that might have been really cool with a little bit of subtlety. So that's disappointing. You know, this is one of those things where like, I'm really glad that we've reached a point where, you know, we are sure that we're covering the JMS run. It'll probably be over, you know, in video on the YouTube channel more than it'll be, or maybe it'll be a podcast. I don't know. But I know it's not the next thing we're doing. We'll get to it because it's part of a bigger conversation about the future of the spider narrative. But at the moment, this doesn't feel like a very fulfilling thread that's been introduced. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. I'm just sort of... 
I'm sort of whatever about it. I feel like the opportunity was kind of missed to go in the direction of like wasps are just killers. Like they are just predators. It doesn't have to be cruel or malicious or because you, it doesn't have to be for vengeance. Like wasps just that is their role in the ecosystem. And we often see that told in stories that deal with mythology and cosmology where the gods are not as focused on the sort of motives that humans have. They just are according to their nature. And sometimes that seems to us like something that is far more sinister or far more relevant than it is for those mythological creatures who are simply playing the part that is there for them. A wasp is a is not like a bee. Like, you know, there's not that like potential sweetness there where you know, they won't hurt you and you can have them in your garden and eventually they'll make honey. Like wasps will fuck you up. And it can just be as simple as that, like wasps having not, you know, the the ecosystem is out of control for whatever reason, and this god wasp is going too hard. But to go in the direction of like jealousy and bitterness, it just kind of cheapens what could be a character that is frightening because it does not have similar motivations to us. Yeah, and that's where I think we are constantly faced with the don't define characters whose origins are missing you know to go back to what we started this with you always knew Uncle Ben died it's in the first Spider-Man issue no one went back and said this is all because his uncle died we actually might think that the whole entirety of everything Spider-Verse coming down to his uncle died the day he got a bug bite is a little silly but because it's baked into the origin we have room for it this is one of those places where I'm not sure going back enhanced the story and it's of note that I'm not super against it here you know I think it's fine I'm willing to see where it goes it's really of note that that should have been the final note in the issue the mini marvels page by Chris G actually like diffuses so much of the tension of that moment in a way I find disappointing it's a cute mini marvels page but that moment should land with some effective devastation that is instead uh, sort of pacified by humor that I don't appreciate kind of taking that moment. Yeah, it again muddies the waters of what do you want us to take away from this? Like, even if it's going to be a grab bag, you gotta give us some kind of core. And it felt like this story ended on a very definitive note about the mythology of the Spider-Verse. And then just to to tack on a silly one, you know, it, it doesn't really serve anybody. Well, you know, it's so tough because this is such a big rolling section of story that it feels like there's never really a great place to cut it. And with all of these Spider-Verse stories being like such a benchmark pinpoint in the middle, I feel like this is a great point to split the discussion and pick things back up. But I know that this has been, for me, some of the most exquisite and challenging spider symbology discussion we've had in some like 15 episodes, really. This is like, for me, the stuff that led us to the place where we were talking about like Wolverina. I really feel like I understand Spider-Man better again because of this discussion. It's interesting. Yeah, I feel like I understand Spider-Man better. I feel like I understand. I keep getting in touch with what I am looking for in these stories, what I'm looking for people to bring to them as creatives and what I'm looking for when I read them. But I feel like I'm really not done sorting through this kind of mishmash of stuff that 
that's been coming out lately that it's just like now I have to filter it all. There's a lot that I just don't think can withstand the test of time and I don't have room in my brain to store it. But I think there are some important pieces here. I just haven't quite been able to identify all of them. I think a big part of that is going to help coalesce as we take a look at a number of shorter stories in our second half look at the modern state of Spider-Verse, which is what I've retroactively decided this two-part episode experience is. You're welcome. And until we continue to weave our wife, life, destiny, fife, I don't know what just happened. Until we come back to weave our portion of the web of life and destiny, including the literal first Spider-Man I can comfortably describe as a huge faggot and no one can come at me. TK, where can everybody find you and that faggot? Oh, I'm going to cut that one. Uh. <laughs> you can find me wherever huge faggots hang up. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. You can, of course, find me every Sunday with this guy and our many amazing compatriots talking about comics. Every week we pick a different group of books and just do a little roundtable. It's been a lot of fun and we hope you'll join us. And yeah, you can find me all of those same places, plus at xsforpodcast.com, where you can find out how you can view our streams, check out old episodes, browse the archives and more you can also find me all over social media at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n i believe this is the second episode of the new year to drop what a cool way to kick the year off with such an amazing clean through of old ideas and in new ways bringing them to the surface and exploring them fully i fucking love what we do it's so much fun and until we come back to be huge spider faggots keep it loose slam heat keep this going gateways open there's mutant lights lit remember anyone can be a spider it's all about the crushing responsibility of feeling like the weight of everybody in the world is on you at all times and there's nothing you can do to ever make it better but to continuously suffer and we'll see ya i've been a spider person this whole time this whole fucking time 